We continue worshiping God uh, with that promise ringing in our ears as we turn to today's gospel lesson in Matthew chapter 9, starting in the ninth verse. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We continue in our series about who Jesus is. As Pastor Bruce has led us these last few weeks, and now we continue, we will walk into this question of who is Jesus? And we'll talk about it by talking about truth. We'll talk about it by talking about the reality of his being and our being. We'll talk about it by looking at real-life action heroes, and we'll talk about it by looking at our real-life problems. And then we'll see real-life hope. Let's begin with truth. Did you know that there is a resurgence, a resurgence of a society that many of us had long since, long since gone? That resurgence is in the membership of the Flat Earth Society. In an age where satellites and Hubble telescopes from space stations and such give us stunning images like this one of our world, the world that we live in, Flat Earthers, believe it or not, are growing, growing in number. Don't believe me, there's a new Netflix documentary. Uh, you can look it up. It's called Behind the Curve. So we live, friends, in an age that wants to believe what it wants to believe. Well, wait a minute. That has how it's always been. Of course, that doesn't define the truth. It doesn't define or decide, no matter what you say about the earth, the ontological reality of what the earth really is, right? Ontological is just saying what that thing, what it is, what it really is. And so, whether I am a flat earther or look through the Hubble telescope and see the world as it really is, doesn't decide its truth. Of course, I get to say whatever I want, but it doesn't make it true. 
By the way, as we think about this, so just to be fair, I wanted to let you know that Flat Earthers, I saw an ad for their membership, and it is open to anyone around the globe. <laughs> Friends, we don't get to decide the world that we live on any more than we get to decide the ontological reality of who Jesus is or who He really is. We do get invited to confess. And what changes when we confess Him is not who He really is, for that stays the same. What changes is us. A lump of clay is moldable. I can shape it in any way that my skill allows me to shape it, but it doesn't change its state of being, does it? No more than what I confess changes the state of who Jesus really is. But when he asks us and asks his disciples, who do you say I am? He's asking us to get it right so that we can be transformed in his right image. Many of us like to think that we get to decide who Jesus is in this age and in every age that we like to be our own arbiters of truth. But Jesus is who He is. Revealed to us as we've been studying these weeks clearly and properly and rightly, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And as we talked about last Sunday, Jesus is the light of the world. And you can go back online and listen to those messages powerfully preached by Pastor Bruce these past weeks. Today, we look at this text in Matthew and discover that Jesus is the great physician. And so we discover in Matthew's account, also proclaimed for us in the Gospel of Mark and Luke, they tell us who Jesus is, interestingly, by why He came and who He came for. And this is where we get into action heroes. You see, when you and I pick up the phone and call 911, and we call for help, we're blessed, aren't we, to live in a society where we know someone's going to pick up that call. We're blessed to live in a society where heroes come and often come quickly. I have a vivid memory of this. I don't tell this story often anymore. But when I was about the age of one of our own Children of Faith students, my mother and I were visiting a neighbor in a next, uh, nearby apartment to ours. And we went and I was playing with the kids and my mom was visiting with her friend and then a knock came on the door. There were some unwelcome visitors. The woman who we were visiting, it was her ex and a friend of his, but they didn't come empty-handed. They both had guns and they had one at the front door and one at the sliding glass door. They hadn't yet come into the apartment. They also had in his hand a chain that he was going to break that sliding glass door with. 
and he was hopped up on drugs and he was demanding to be let in so he could get his leather jacket, the very jacket that he was wearing. And with the guns and the chains, we can, as you could have guessed, called for help. And help, praise be to God, came and came in force. And one of the most vivid images and memories I have of that moment is when they were trying to apprehend those uh, two gentlemen, so to speak. And as they were trying to apprehend them, they had not yet caught them, but they wanted to get us to safety. And so with their very bodies, the police officers, I don't know how many of them there were, surrounded us like a football huddle. And I just remember feeling like we were being lifted off our feet as they moved us from that apartment to safety and they surrounded us and shielded us. Shielded us with their very bodies. We called for help and help came. Shielding us with their very lives. This, my friends, is the image of what Christ does for us. He comes to those in the crisis of our sin and he shields us from its deadly deadly effect and how does he shield us he shields us with his very body his own body on the cross of course we knew to call it was pretty obvious it was time for help right but in our world today especially in this secular age, we sometimes don't know that we're in trouble. We don't know that sin is afoot in us and through us, in our homes, in our society, in our hearts. The brokenness of the human condition is caused by sin, but many of us want to deny that truth, that reality that needs to be dealt with. I like what Zig Ziglar said and reading about it on this text from Legionnaire's website, Zig said, the famous salesman and motivational speaker said, the first step in solving a problem is to recognize that it does exist. Now this is, is so true. We can see that, can't we? In so many places in our life. I bet you can imagine something going on at your workplace. Boy, I wish they really would realize this is a problem. I bet you can imagine things in your own home, your own marriage, your own family life, your friendships. Where isn't it true in order to deal with life as it really is, we need to name the problems as they really are? And that's what Jesus does here. As he calls Matthew to follow him. Calls Matthew out of the sinful, greedy, selfish, unethical life of a tax collector into following him. That word call is also the same Greek word for invite. And it isn't interesting when the Pharisees wonder about how Jesus is hanging out with all these sinners. 
course, Jesus is hanging out with all these sinners because he wants to redeem them from their sin. Not because he's celebrating their depravity, but because he's coming to be the action hero to rescue them. That is what he's about with his own body. But they question him, but they're not quite so bold as to ask him directly. They ask the disciples. I think that's funny. But Jesus, being close enough, he overhears, and he'll have none of it. He talks to them directly. And what does he say? He says, the righteous, they don't need a doctor. But the sinner, the sick, they need a physician. And he, Jesus, is the great physician of our souls. The healer of our sin that he rescues us from with his own body. As one commentator put it, Jesus isn't dividing humans into two groups as much as he is defining his mission. This messianic saving mission characterized by grace and a pursuit of the lost, going after sinners like you and by me, and by implication, those who do not see themselves in the light of Jesus' mission, they only fail to grasp the purpose of his coming, and they end up excluding themselves. We exclude ourselves from these kingdom blessings when we say we are without sin. Jesus is showing us who he is, who he really is, his ontological reality by showing us his mission. He is telling us that yes, he is all those things, the son of God, the friend of sinners, the light of the world, the great physician. He is all those things because, well, isn't it interesting here? You know who proclaims that he is the Messiah? It tells us that he's telling us that he's the Messiah, that he's coming to save sinners and forgive sin. Well, you can go home and read the rest of the chapter. You'll see the healings all in this chapter also include the forgiveness of sins. Only the Messiah, only God himself, the Jews knew, could forgive, ultimately forgive sin. So that's why his enemies were so angry and wanted to kill him. So the very anger and desire to kill him from his enemies is a profession that he is claiming to be the son of God. Now, some would later say that, oh, Christianity, they added that later, hundreds of years later. But here we have in these early manuscripts, these early biographies in the first few years after Jesus' resurrection, written early on, all proclaiming, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus has come to save sinners. That means he's come to forgive sin. That means he's the Messiah. That means he's God. And so we can bring our real life problems to this Savior. That means this place, this room, should be filled with sinners. In case you didn't know, you're one of them. He didn't come to divide us into two different groups. So those who are righteous and those who are sinners. Be careful because it's a quick step from one camp to the other. And the truth is, sometimes we act like both. And all of us, all of us 
need to respond to this action hero, this salvation mission, this messianic mission, this plan. Douglas Hare tells us that the messianic work here is just to invite that word invite again, people to the banquet. And friends, God is not going to force feed you at the banquet any more than you can force feed a baby. They know it's not chocolate. God's not going to force feed you. He's going to invite you. And what do we do with that invitation? Well, Luke is a little bit more specific in his, as he recounts this invitation. He tells us our RSVP is to repent, to turn around. The Scripture tells us that in responding to this invitation, Matthew gave up everything. He turned around. In our secular world today, we want to say, oh, there's not a problem. There's not sin. That's just old ideology. But no, the truth is the brokenness of our human condition, we can see it in our society. We can see it in our homes. We can see it in our hearts. We can see it in us. We are sinners in need of saving. And this place is for sinners. This is the place that Sinners should gather. So don't come putting on a front that you got it all together. You don't need to do that. We know you're a sinner. No matter how nice you look on Sunday. And we all need a Savior to save us. Because He comes, as He, re, he tells us, and He quotes Hosea in verse 13 here, with hesed, that's in Hebrew, but here now in Greek, He says, and it gets translated for us in English. He brings his steadfast love. He brings, what is it called now? Mercy. The life, as John Stott put it, of our fallen humanity is based on rough justice. Avenging injuries and returning favors. But now, now the life, the new life for our new humanity is based on divine love, hesed, steadfast love. Instead of taking revenge and overcoming evil with revenge, we overcome it with God's grace. Good. He comes as the great physician with grace. That's grace bought for us. Grace bought for us with His very body. And once you listen to the physician... And turn, turn towards him. You're no longer the same. You're transformed like Matthew was. You and I, we are transformed. Yes, we still wrestle with sin, but we are a new creation. This is what Jesus does for us with our real problems. Whether it's in your marriage or with your kids or with your best friend or as you tackle the issues of our society. In this place, sinners redeemed. We can deal with those harms because Jesus has restored us. I've been thinking about it. Isn't it amazing? In a few minutes, we'll be singing the hymn, Amazing Grace. Isn't it amazing that the church, in every kind of church, race, in particular, 
The African-American church proclaims that song, Amazing Grace. In particular, we do too. Why? Because we're all one church. And yet, it's a song written by a former slave trader. How can that be? Because Jesus forgives even the worst of sinners. And we all know that his redemption transforms us. Don't you know that this transformation from this great physician is good? We've got to listen to the doctor, though. Right? We've got to repent. We've got to turn around. The doctor can do all kinds of procedures. She can heal us with all kinds of amazing cardiac procedures if, you're, if she's your cardiologist, can't she? But if you keep eating all kinds of cholesterol, it doesn't do much good, does it? Well, God's promise and Sacrifice for us is always good and always real. And he just invites us to turn around and receive it. And once we receive it, then carry it. This isn't the only place Jesus exists. You, on your feet, with your hands, your mobile hospitals, carrying the love and steadfast love of Christ to wherever you go, Christ is. And you proclaim whether it's your good work in your job, in your career, in your role as mom or dad or sister or brother or student or friend. And as you do those things well, you proclaim Christ. Whether you are a teacher or a plumber or a bus driver. Let me tell you about my friend Eric, who's a bus driver in Seattle. Eric and I... We're in college together up in Seattle many years ago. We only stay connected by Facebook these days. But I was sure surprised to see on the news earlier this week the bus he was driving. I think it was Route 75 downtown near downtown Seattle, not too far from downtown anyway. He encountered the evil of this world. Just a few days ago, a gunman took a stance and fired right into the windshield of his transit bus. You might have seen it on the news. My friend Eric was shot in the chest. And he felt the blood coming down and realized, well, I'm, I'm still alive, still breathing. Put pressure on his wound, hit the emergency button, and realized... Well, I can still act. And so he backed that bus up around a corner and out of there and got he and his passengers to safety. Sadly, that evildoer continued his rampage. Eric later, in faithfully carrying out his daily vocation of keeping his passengers safe as a bus driver, then had this most amazing opportunity. As the reporters asked him in his hospital room, they said, so were you afraid to die? He said, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not afraid to die. I didn't want to die that day, and I didn't want any of my passengers to die that day. And they said, so, so you're a Christian, so do you forgive this shooter? And with tears welling up in his eyes, he said, look, this, this guy needs to come to justice here in this world. But 
He said, when he meets the justice of God, I pray he doesn't meet God without Jesus because that justice is too harsh to face alone without Christ Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel. He did his duty. He did it well. And he proclaimed Christ, the real action hero. Jesus is ontologically real. And he is real in us. And so he'll use you in your everyday life too. Whether in extraordinary moments or ordinary ones. Jesus is ontologically. He really is who he is. We hear it from ancient historians. We hear it from archaeology. We hear it even as we heard in this text today from his enemies. And from the testimony of scripture. Jesus himself. And yes, the very power of the Holy Spirit working to proclaim this Jesus is the Messiah. He comes to bring salvation. He brings hope for the sinner in this real world to our real problems. Working often through you and me as mobile hospitals in the ordinary everyday life that we live in, even the ordinary life of a bus driver. Jesus brings hope for the world. Amen.